And so we think the only people who are important is the successful, visible business leader, the president of a company or whatever the situation may be. And we carry that mindset into the church when we say, well, I'm not an important person because I'm not up front. People don't really see me. I'm not really all that visible. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We've been dealing with the topic of spiritual gifts in our study of Romans chapter 12. We've seen already that on the day people become Christians, they receive from God at least one of about 21 spiritual gifts. And in today's study entitled, Finding Your Place, Pastor Brogy looks at how to discover which spiritual gift you've been given. Take God's word, would you? Romans chapter 12, as we continue our way through this letter of Paul to the Romans. If you've read Paul's epistles, then you know there are three elements of the Christian life that he was particularly concerned about. Three areas in particular that he did not want us to be ignorant about. In 2 Corinthians 2, he tells us that we are not to be ignorant of Satan's schemes lest he take advantage of us. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he told us that we are not to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who've died. In 1 Corinthians 12, using the identical Greek word, he says that we're not to be ignorant or unaware concerning spiritual gifts. Now, most of us know something about the devil and his schemes. Most of us know at least something about death and what happens to the Christian at the moment of death. Many have an opinion on the rapture and how the future events will unfold. But the average Christian, unfortunately, is totally unaware of what God says concerning spiritual gifts that place us in, put us in a way in the body of Christ where we can be used by God. I hope you realize that you, if you've been saved, are a gifted child. Not only does God the Holy Spirit live in you, on your spiritual birthday, God gave you a spiritual proclivity, a spiritual ability, a spiritual talent in which to serve Him and His people. And it's our duty, it's our privilege to discover what that gift is and then to implement it in the local church. When Paul wrote the Corinthians, he said, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware or ignorant, as the old English says. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He makes three things very clear in those verses. There are a lot of different kinds of spiritual gifts. I count at least 20 in the New Testament. There are a lot of different ministries that come with those spiritual gifts and a large variety of effects that those gifts have. And so God has a place for you in the local assembly. And if you've not found your place, I hope today will be a starting point for you. Now, if you were here last time, we focused on verses 3 through 5. Today, we're going to focus just on verses 6 through 8. But to give us a running start, I want to begin in verse 1 of Romans 12 so we can see the context. Notice, Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy, cheerfulness. Now, there's always many first-time visitors in our two services here and in Bluffton, And it's been three weeks since we've been in the text, and the Bible teaches that repetition is the master teacher, and that we are to repeat ourselves as pastors. So let me remind you of the context today and bring us into the verses that we're looking at. The broader context, if you remember, three major sections to Romans. The doctrinal section, chapters 1 through 8, where he focuses on three key doctrines, condemnation, justification, and sanctification. Then the national section, chapters 9 through 11, where he also focuses on three truths of Israel's election as a nation, of Israel's rejection of their unbelief, why they are in unbelief overall as a people, but of their future restoration, how they are going to come to faith in the Lord Jesus just before his return from heaven. Now we're in the practical section, and as we will see, it too will divide into three sections. In one word, the doctrinal section deals with salvation. In one word, the national section with sovereignty. But the practical section deals with our service for the Lord. And so having spent 11 chapters speaking of sovereignty, justification, sanctification, condemnation, he now moves into our service. And so the therefore of verse 1, therefore I urge you, brethren, Look down at your Bibles. It will be helpful to you today to look at your Bible. Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? In light of what he has just told us. And so there's an urgent plea. He's saying, listen, in light of everything that you've learned, in light of everything I've told you, he's not saying this would be a nice thing to do or this is a suggestion I'm making. He's saying, I'm urging you, I'm pleading with you, I'm begging you is the sense of the word, as if God were entreating through the Apostle Paul, in light of the mercies of God, I'm asking you to present yourself to him as a living and holy sacrifice. In light of his giving his son, in light of him saving us freely by his grace and sending his Holy Spirit to live in us, making us children, in view of the multiplied mercies of God, brethren, or you could say cistern, It's a generic word, brothers and sisters in Christ, I ask you to present your bodies. And we saw that the body here is used as a comprehensive term, not just of your skin and your fingernails and your hair, but of who you are, because it is in the body that your service takes place. And he says, so we are to present ourselves to God, we're to make this presentation of all that we are and all that we need to do And he calls this, if you will notice, our spiritual service of worship. If you have the NAS in the margin, it's more literal. It says your rational service. 
It's your intelligent service. It's the Greek word that comes directly into English as logical. In crass terms, Paul is saying, use your head. In light of what God has done for you in giving His Son, in light of what God is going to do for you, in light of all the glory and splendor and grace and mercy, all that you've learned about God, present yourself to Him. And so critical to the discovery of your spiritual gift is a presentation to God. And if we've made that presentation, then we will obey the command of verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Remember, he's writing to people who are saved and the fact that he can tell believers not to be conformed to the world tells me it's very possible for us to be conformed to this world. One of two possibilities is unfolding in your life this morning. Either the world is shaping you and squeezing you into its mold or you are being remolded in your minds and in your thoughts through the living Word of God. So Paul's saying, don't do this, but do this. Don't think this way, think this way. Don't go on being conformed, but be transformed. And of course, while he doesn't state it here, he does in other places in his epistles, the way God transforms us through the renewing of our mind is through the scripture. The word transformed is metaphormeo, we get our word metamorphosis. If I can coin a word, we are to continually be metamorphosized, changed. Because if you're not moving forward, you're sliding backward. There's no neutrality in the Christian life. And so having made this presentation and having allowed this transformation to unfold, what follows is a realization. Let's read all of verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, David said, Saul, I can't use this armor because I've not proved it. I've not tested it. And so Paul is saying here positively, when you make this presentation, when you allow God to wash your brain, because you're being brainwashed today, someone is washing your brain, either the world with its values or God in his word. And I'm not here today to share my opinion. I'm here to open the Bible. You're thinking people, you can discover for yourself what God says. And so when we are renewed in our minds, we come to prove, realize, experience that God's will is not lacking in any way, but it is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so the principle of consecration is essential to finding and using your spiritual gift. And so I told you last time, it's almost formulaic here in structure, a presentation followed by a transformation, brings about a realization. And so if you really want to experience the best that God has for you, if you want to honor Him and glorify Him with your life, then you need to be in the center of His will. Because when you're in the center of His will, the Holy Spirit is able to fill you, and when He's able to fill you, He will grow you, He will change you. It's like a newborn baby that you hold in your hands. At physical birth, there are certain natural talents and skills that God wrote into his DNA. But you don't know what those are. But as the child is nurtured and grown and fed and cared for, his personality and all that God gave him at physical birth begin to show itself. We had a baby in our fellowship years ago that was born, and for nine years he grew in size, but he never grew on the inside. I did his funeral at the age of nine. And it was a heartbreaking thing for those parents not to see their little child grow and to develop. 
Well, it's heartbreaking to God Almighty not for you to grow spiritually. And some of us are just in baby form. We've met Jesus Christ, but we've not grown much. And so your mind is to be renewed, and that's why I open the Scripture, I open the Bible, and a lot of you come for the first time and you don't bring a Bible because you've never needed one before in a church. But I'm not here, again, to share my opinion. I'm here to show you what God says, and you can figure it out for yourself. But you will get so much more out of any sermon I preach if you have a copy of the Word of God in your lap. And if you don't have one, come to meet the pastor this Thursday, and we'll give you one, a beautiful Bible. But as you begin to learn the Word of God, your life is transformed, and all that God created you and made you to be begins to manifest itself. But there are some Christians who are stunted in their spiritual growth. That's why we have the discovery class for the new believer. It's 45 weeks long. Some of you are new Christians. You should come in the hour prior to this and go to the discovery class. We had a man go through there and he said to me, pastor, he's now a deacon. He said, I learned more in six months in the discovery class than I had in the prior 30 years of my Christian life. And that's not an uncommon response. There are many Christians who have been saved, but they've never been taught the basics on how to grow. And so they don't really know what their spiritual gift is. And so look at verse 3, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone, meaning all Christians, because all Christians who have been recipients of the grace of God have been given a grace gift, I say to everyone among you, Paul is saying, in light of the grace that God has shown you, and by application, he's speaking not just to the church at Rome, but the church here in Beaufort and in Bluffton and in other places where they're listening to us, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. Literally, to think so as to have sober thinking. It's a compound word. As God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So God crowds into one verse the Greek word think four times. I think God wants us to think. (laughs) Very simply. He wants us to think about ourselves, but not in the wrong way, but in the right way. And we can go, as we noted last time, to one of two extremes. You can either have an exaggerated view of yourself, and that happens when you forget the source of your gifts, when your arm goes out of joint by patting yourself on the back all the time. Listen, if God has given you the ability to preach or to teach, it's by by His grace. If he's given you the ability to lead, it is by his grace. If he's given you the ability to give or to exhort or to serve or to administer, it is totally by his grace. Even any natural talent you have, which is different from a spiritual gift, natural talents are given at the moment of birth by God. He's the source of all good things from above. An ability to sing, an ability to to have a a mechanical proclivity towards things, whatever it is. Those are natural talents, not to be confused with spiritual gifts. Now, the two may dove tail with one another. Someone may have a a gift to sing and they use the gift of helps or service and that they serve regularly in the choir in ministering to us in music so the two can dovetail but they're not to be confused spiritual gifts are different from acquired skills or from natural talents and so we are not to have an exaggerated view of ourselves we are to think soberly God has brought you into the body of Christ, and there is only one who is indispensable, and that is the head, the Lord Jesus. There are no big shots in the body of Christ. The other extreme 
that is just as dishonoring to God is to have a false humility. And there's nothing worse and more pitiful than the Christian who has his hands in his pocket and his head down. And he says, I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. I'm just a, a toe on the body of Christ. That's not humility. That's a form of pride. And it's a form of unbelief. It's a failure to believe what God has said about you. It's not humility. It's sin. Because it contradicts what Paul plainly says here. God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And so we're commanded think so as to have sound judgment or sound thinking. Again, four times over in the verse, he uses this Greek word to think or a form of it. And so he's giving us some boundaries in which our thinking is to take place. We are to think soberly as the King James renders it. You first recognize when you think with sound judgment that everything that you have been given has been given to you by the grace of God. Paul said that, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. So to think soberly is first to recognize that all that you have received is by God's grace. You didn't earn it. But secondly, it is to recognize that all that you are able to do is by the grace of God. Think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. He does not say God has allotted a measure of knowledge or skill or personal charisma or physical appeal or personal dynamic. No, he says God has measured out to each of us a measure of faith. He wants you to know that he has doled out the correct measurement of faith, just the right amount that you need to serve him with. He has given to each of us. And so if God has given you an ability, you are to use that ability. And he's given you just the right ability that you need. Again, notice the repetition. You might underline it if you haven't already. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think, that's the first time, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, that's the second time, but to think, that's the third time, so as to have literally, it's a compound word, sound thinking or sound judgment. That's the fourth time as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So think. First, educate yourself on the subject of spiritual gifts. You might want to take the 128 exam that the computer scores at searchthescriptures.org. You may find that useful. It may not isolate your gift if you're just a new Christian or if you've been saved for a long time and you haven't grown because you're in such a babyfied form. It just hasn't had an opportunity to manifest itself. It takes a few years after you've been saved for your gift to really begin to show itself and express itself. Um, but notice verse 4, for just as we have many members beyond this principle of consecration and thinking, evaluation, there's this principle of cooperation brought out here in verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. And if you remember here in verses 4 and 5, Paul makes an analogy between the physical body and the spiritual body. Each part of your body works in coordination with the rest. My hand works in coordination with the arm that works off of the shoulder and so forth. Unless the body is sick or spasmatic, it works as a unit. There's no rivalry. It works in harmony. It works as a team. And so we, verse 5, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. That is a powerful statement. We are members one of another. It's one thing to say, I belong to Jesus Christ. It's another thing to say, I belong to you. 
It's one thing to say I'm related to, uh, related to God by faith in Christ. It's another thing to say I'm related to you by my faith in Christ. So we who are many in the body of Christ are members one of another. We need each other. God has given you a spiritual gift and it needs to function in the context of a local church. Now, I know people look down on the local church today and they are involved in ministries outside of the local assembly or what the church does in the community. They say, well, I minister in this community Bible study or I'm involved in passing out Bibles or this men's ministry. And all good, nothing wrong with that. But that is no replacement for God's people being involved in a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing local church somewhere in this country or in this community where you find yourself living. And so God expects us to be involved in a local assembly. Why? Because we're members of one another. You see, my mouth has no problem recognizing the hand that feeds it. And even so, in the body of Christ, because we are members one of another, we're able to help each other. We're able to recognize the different gifts and abilities that God has. The church at uh, Antioch had no problem recognizing the giftedness of Barnabas and Paul. The church in Jerusalem had no problem at all recognizing those who should serve tables. They had no problem seeing that Judas and Silas were the ones who were to take the conclusion of the council at Jerusalem and go and teach it and share it to all the churches. And if spiritually mature leadership recognizes that you have a gift in a particular area, you ought to listen to that. Why? Because spiritual men, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, are able to discern spiritual truth. And if you think you have a particular spiritual gift and no one else in the body of Christ sees that, then you've probably misread it and you need to take a second look. Now, that's where we've been. That brings us into the context. All right, you with me? Three simple truths if you want to jot down a few notes. Number one, God's gifts are given by God's grace. His gifts are given by His grace. Notice again verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. If you're live streaming through the computer or you're here in this building or watching on television, you can see here on the screen there are two words. Even if you don't know Greek, even if Greek is Greek to you, the first word is charisma, and it's the word translated here, gift. That's in the singular form. And then there's the word charis for the word grace. You can see they're almost identical with the exception of two letters at the end. Why? Because spiritual gifts are grace gifts. The Bible teaches not only are we saved by grace, we are gifted by grace. If you remember, we studied Romans eleven six a few weeks back, and Paul says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, Speaking of our salvation, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. In other words, what makes the grace of God the grace of God is it is free, it is unmerited, it is not earned in any respect. Well, salvation is by grace received by faith. In the same way that salvation is not a reward to the righteous, it's a gift to the guilty. Even so, the gift or ability that God has given you to serve His people is given by grace. And if you understand that, there are two implications. First, you are not to have a lesser view of yourself. Paul's going to repeat himself in thought because he knows we need to hear it a second time. You're not to have a lesser view 
of self. Now listen to your pastor this morning. What Christians very often do is they take the mindset of the world and they carry it into the local church. And so we think the only people who are important is the successful, visible business leader, the president of a company or whatever the situation may be. And we carry that mindset into the church and we say, well, I'm not an important person because I'm not up front. People don't really see me. I'm not really all that visible. But the pastor, the evangelist, the, the, the celebrity on TV, now he is important. And so we think, well, God doesn't really have his hand on my life. But no, God does not look down at people and say, well, you look at Joe. He's got that dynamic personality. If I can get Joe into the kingdom, I'm going to gift Joe in a certain way, and I'm going to give Joe this particular gift. No, 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 no. It does not work that way. You do not deserve gifts. You do not earn gifts. These are grace gifts that are given to us, and they are given as God sovereignly wills. God can't make everyone an upfront person, or no one would do the behind-the-scenes work. We need each other because we function together as a body of believers. And so God makes it very clear that you don't choose your spiritual gift. God chooses it for you on your spiritual birthday. We just studied last time in verse 3. God, referring to the Father, has allotted to each a measure of faith, referring to our spiritual gift. But not only did the Father decide the spiritual grace that you would have to serve His people, God the Son was involved. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, Therefore it says, when He, it's a messianic passage as you can see from the Old Testament typeset, when He, Christ, Messiah, ascended on high, He led captive a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. And then Paul goes on and he describes those spiritual gifts. In addition, God the Holy Spirit is involved in the giving of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. So God needed a full deck, and He placed in His church all the needed gifts, and so therefore we don't have to seek some gift because God has already determined and given you the gift that He wants you to have. He's sovereignly, providentially, placed you in an assembly, and so you are not to minimize your importance. If you're listening to me, say amen. amen. All right, I just want to make sure you all look a little sleepy on me this morning. I had too much football last night, all right? Sorry, you Clemson fans. Nonetheless, if you compare yourself with other people, rather than understanding who you are in Jesus Christ, then you will minimize your importance in the body of Christ. And typically, when you begin to doubt your importance in a local assembly, you will suppress your gift and you will not use your spiritual gift. And so God wants us to know that spiritual gifts are given by, by God. They are grace gifts, not given by our ability. And when you understand that, you're not to have a lesser view of yourself. Our spiritual gifts are of God, and they are to be employed for the furtherance and benefit of His kingdom and ultimately to His glory. As such, whatever our gifts may be, we are neither to have a lesser nor an exalted view of them in comparison to the gifts others may possess. If you'd like to hear today's message again, why not use the Search the Scriptures app available for smartphones and tablets or listen online at searchthescriptures.org. 
And of course, you can always follow us on Twitter. We are at ST Scriptures. Maybe you've got a question you'd like to ask Pastor Brogy personally. You can do that Tuesday mornings between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. You can listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. Tomorrow we continue our look at spiritual gifts as we search the scriptures.